0: Uh, I guess I began breaking down in my convictions. I began transforming and wanting to, so badly wanting to get this information, I was willing to to break the rules. And of course, actually, technically, I wasn't breaking rules because they had never made a rule about not having a, a DVD player.
1: Welcome to Normalizing Non Monogamy the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own.
2: Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to episode 86. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a long but super amazing story for you with Kenneth.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as Emma mentioned, it is a little longer than normal, <laughs> but it is, it kind of captivated us. And as you'll hear, we don't do a whole lot of talking, no. but <laughs> the story is incredible and it. It is just a wild journey, so uh we hope you find it as as amazing as we did, and listen to it all the way through because yeah it's 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 crazy,
1: yeah, no, <laughs> it's incredible, so a couple of quick announcements before we get into that
2: very um, quick because yes. it's a long ye
1: yeah. So first, um, if you've listened to any recent shows, you know that Finn and I will be traveling, especially in October, and we will be hosting a handful – well, three to be exactly – um, to be, exact. <laughs>
2: uh, to be exactly exact. To
1: be exactly exact. exactly um, exact. Meet and greets. And so the first one will be in New York City on October 3rd. The second one will be in Boston sometime in mid-October. We're working on confirming that date and we'll be announcing it as soon as possible.
2: Probably by the end of the week.
1: Yeah. And then the third one will be in Toronto on October 26th. And that'll be in the afternoon. I know it's a Saturday, but it'll be in the afternoon, so it won't impact the Halloween parties.
2: So It is a Halloween party.
1: It is, but... It Without
2: will... costumes. Well, I guess you could wear a costume. You could
1: wear a costume. <laughs> I don't care if you wear a costume. That's all good.
2: So for all of the information on these, if you go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the events tab, uh, you can get all of the information there.
1: Yep. And also, if you do plan on coming to the event, please go there and RSVP. It really helps us, um, you know, kind of gauge how many people are going to be there. So we appreciate that effort.
2: Absolutely. One other really quick thing we wanted to mention is uh, one of the newest and cleanest looking dating websites, primarily for swingers, but I think you could bend the rules a little bit. Um, We met Dave and Andy, the creators of Double Date Nation, at the Club Euphoria phone party uh, back in August. And they're awesome people, and they're doing awesome work, and we are just trying to help support what they're doing. If you use the offer code EMMA when you sign up or use any of the links on our website it first of all supports them by getting more people on their website which is new which is super important when you have a new dating site Mm -hmm. and also we get a little bit of a referral bonus so it also supports us we would love it if you do that and we would love it if you check them out
1: yes and i think that's it let's we made this intro short and now let's go listen to kenneth
2: Kenneth, thank you uh, for for taking some time out of the fields to yeah. talk to us. Been been cutting some hay and farming today, so we appreciate you taking a few minutes to share your story and and reach out to us.
0: Uh, thank you, glad to be here. Yeah.
1: Usually, we like to start off the interviews, if as you know, by listening to have our guests introduce themselves. So, do you mind giving just a you know, kind of an overview of who you are?
0: Well, uh, I'm I'm around I'm 59 years old, and I. For most of my life, I was associated with a religious sector cult most popularly known as the Mennonites and Amish about eight, seven eight years ago I left that uh, that sect and uh, basically due to a loss of faith in, in the supernatural mm-hmm. uh, and and it was quite a journey for me uh, I, I now st- I still live in, a, in an Amish settlement type community but I'm, I'm not a part of the Amish settlement any longer. In fact, I guess in a, in a way I'm I'm a bit of a thorn in the flesh because they they're puzzled over over me. Most people that leave the Amish usually just go completely out to the greater society and blend right in. But the reason I joined, particularly with the Amish from the Mennonites, if any of your listeners know the difference, Mennonites generally are more modern and assimilated to the modern society, whereas Amish have retained the more traditional. Values and are typically known with their horse and buggies and their quaint and so forth. But the reason I joined was though I was definitely deep into tradition at the time, but it was largely because I was concerned about living a an environmentally sustainable lifestyle. Okay. I had begun researching uh through through a sort of a religious channel of more progressive Mennonites who had been had been uh opening their minds to not just uh, Mennonite theology, but also uh, Earth theology, you could say. And they began to write books that called Christians to be concerned about the planet that they believed God had created and not just trash it. Because if God created it, if if we're thinking in that vein of thought, then uh, God would want us to care for it and, and not destroy that which he called good. And so at that point, I... I was very much uh, um, not engrossed, but uh, really uh, sold with the idea. Uh, It really captured my imagination, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, It really uh, spoke spoke to my my mind or my heart that that's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in my previous uh, religious life, before I had converted to the, the Mennonites and later Amish, I had been in the Pentecostal movement. And they had a theology of Jesus Christ coming back very soon in in a form called the rapture.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so we had in the 1970s we had lots of books that that outlined just exactly how Jesus was going to come with all the different prophecies from the Book of Revelation and all fit together like clockwork. And I had relatives that very much believed that he was coming by 1984 or at the latest 1986. And at one time, as a young teenager, I questioned one of my uncles about that. Well, what if he doesn't come back for the next 20 or 30 years? And the looks I got from my uncle was that it was almost uh, sacrilegious what I had just said. So I dropped the subject and never brought it up again.
1: So that so that's what you grew up in. That's You grew up in that Pentecostal
0: uh, environment. Yeah, right. And I, I, I consider it now, as I look back, as it, it was a springboard for me to then convert into the Mennonites because— uh, Pentecostalism by itself is fairly radical, or it can be, and then it was an easy jump for me to go from that to the Mennonites, because it seemed even more um, dedicated and more austere, which I was sort of drawn to that type of, uh, And uh, but, but time went on, my aunt and uncle, they passed on, they fully totally expected to be alive when the rapture came, and rapture they 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 uh, died and passed on. The rapture still not come, and I began to think, well, what if the Lord would wait for another fifty to a hundred years? What would this earth be like? I became more and more concerned. My father had worked for the National Park Service and taught us children to respect creation
3: mm-hmm. and
0: not litter and be good citizens. And I guess all those things sort of sort of started kicking in, and that's what drove me to that point of what's going what's going to be left if we if we don't consider what we're doing Mm
3: -hmm. with the
0: multitudes of people that are uh, multiplying on this earth and um, all the pollution and problems that are happening. And that's also what drove me to consider the Amish because of their more simple lifestyle and not associated with the mainstream of the car and truck transportation. Right. And just simple uh, idyllic, uh, if I have that word right, Mm -hmm. idyllic like mm-hmm. a lifestyle that was very very um I was just super attracted to that. I love that quiet, simple life, like a lot of people are you know people are it's a romantic sort of uh experience to some they they think it's like a storybook walking into a storybook
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh in in many ways it is, but of course they're still human and they still have their problems, which i was to find out right
2: well so what at what point did you decide to join the Mennonite? uh community was that in like what like roughly what age were you at that point
0: Uh, i actually had made my mind up to join with them when i was a mid-teenager which was quite young uh i had a uh a catalyst and that was my older brother he is 14 years older than i am and he had already joined with the mennonites previous to that okay he was born in 1946 short history of him and so he was of the age of the vietnam war and the draft dodging And he was sort of of the hippie movement and almost defected to Canada. But then at one point he decided to take a religious route and look for a religious exemption by joining the Mennonites. And he actually did get a, uh, one W exemption from the government to serve an alternate service instead of going to, uh, to the war. And, uh, then as he came home and would visit, uh, he would talk with me and, uh, and, uh, he succeeded in influencing me to this particular Mennonite group that had this teaching of the one true church, sort of like other denominations have, that they're the only chosen uh, people of God. And it makes things seem so much simpler with all the confusion and all the denominations. This is just the one true church. Come to us and everything will be solved. And that was very attractive to me along with the the uh, more uh, austere way of life and the quiet way of life. I was sort of turned off by the Pentecostals in a way because we, of course, could sing hallelujah and praise the Lord and such like. But afterwards, uh, the young people could talk about things that I thought were too carnal, like uh, the latest football game, the latest uh, song on the radio, or somebody's fast car. And that just didn't click with me, especially after I had this new birth experience and I really dedicated my life to God. I just wanted to be 110 percent for Him. Uh, it just didn't seem right. And then when my brother approached me and invited me to come visit him in his Mennonite community, which I did, I was while I still had questions, I was deeply attracted to their quiet, sincere devotion,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: especially their their stance mm-hmm. like on not fighting, not being warfare like like so many people. That was also very attractive to me. Yeah loving uh people and and you know different parts of the bible that most of the the general society churches sort of overlook or take for instance if you look at the bible at, at, at face value there's a lot of different teachings and commandments especially in the new testament and in epistles that most churches today just basically brush aside mm-hmm. no ones like the, that teaches women to be silent in churches or to um or to wear a head covering and to be submissive to the husband and the, and that headship order. Most in most modern churches, that's lost. You know, women are preaching, women are not wearing a head covering and they're taking a dominant role. Um, and then other areas like, um, today, it wasn't at the time, but, uh, the, the, the homosexual gay movement, uh, that was in, in in the new Testament is roundly condemned, uh, at least from what I understand it. Um, and uh, most churches have somehow molded, a lot anyhow, have molded their, their churches to understand it differently. And now they accept uh, gay people into the membership, which I think is good, even though I'm not a Christian any longer. I think it's good whenever a church can can, can be open to, right. to, with, to science and, and psychology and understanding more properly who we are as human beings. Right. But coming strictly from a Bible viewpoint, it's 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 roundly condemned. That's I, I'm still puzzled today how some uh, gays can feel really close with God and 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 claim to be a Christian when their own Holy Bible uh, <laughs> doesn't make much room for them. Right. Uh, uh, but but that's getting off on another topic. Yeah. Uh, so so he um he influenced me, and then I I didn't uh, actually make my step to move until I was around 18 uh, because I wanted my parents' permission to leave uh, before I, before I would go. Because of course the Bible teaches children to be obedient to parents. Yeah. So I had to follow that commandment. So at finally, at one point, my dad said, well, you might as well go. Your heart's not here. They had hoped I would stay Pentecostal and marry, you know, a Pentecostal girl and they'd have one of their children in the of the family, you know, living near them and have their grandchildren beside them, which, would all have been well and good, but I was, I was really sold out, and I had one track mind. I knew where I was. So he said, go ahead, and so I moved to my brother's place uh, to that Mennonite settlement and um, didn't actually join with that group. I, I um, got a little more depth of wisdom and realized that this teaching of the One True Church is really sort of uh, high-minded, and I would now call it religious bigotry. To think that they are the one true church. And I opened myself up to search amongst other Mennonite uh, flavors and ended up joining more of an Amish Mennonite type church that was uh from derived from Amish, but they had modernized and had cars, electric and telephone, sans, uh, TV and radio. Okay. In the nineteen early nineteen eighties there was no internet, so that right. was right. And
2: so that was that was what you were part of for the next 40 years or so, or th- I guess 30, 30. 30, years or so
0: yeah, about 30 years of my life. <clears throat> yeah. I married into the faith. I, I met a a girl or a young a woman that was raised in the faith and uh, we married and had 10 children over the next uh, 35 years. Uh, <clears throat> we did move around a bit. Uh, myself being the um, convert, um, uh, converts have a tendency to really want to go uh, to the nth degree to to prove themselves faithful, to uh, to uh, follow everything and, and be uh, a um, an example to others. And we tend to overconform. And so, when there was difficulty in the church, I tended to take the more conservative position. And when there was a split, I would take the conservative position. So we found ourselves relocating several times. To more con- concess- successively more conservative Mennonite groups. And then at the point where I became more concerned about the environment and wanted to go back to actually horse and buggy with with an old order horse and buggy group, that's when I finally uh, moved my family to an older Amish settlement in Southwest Virginia. Okay. And <clears throat> that's where we began the journey to. Uh, do away with the automobile, I remember distinctly taking our driver's licenses and cutting them in half and throwing them in the trash and believing I'd never drive an automobile again.
2: Wow. And, and spoiler alert, correct me if I'm wrong, but you now own a
0: Tesla? No, uh, my girlfriend does. Okay. <laughs> well, close. <laughs> well,
2: close close enough.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm, not as, I'm not as fortunate. I do have an electric vehicle, fully full electric vehicle, but it's a Kia Soul. Yeah. TV. So
2: okay so you're so this you've you've moved, you've you've gotten married you've had 10 kids you've moved and become more and more conservative I guess how how do you then get to the point where you've decided this is no longer for you and then and then maybe we can talk about where obviously our our podcast isn't focused around Amish culture so there there's there we're we're building into something here so people yes, we are. Okay <laughs>
0: I'll get to it as quickly as I can. No, you're, okay. you're fine. fine. There's it's, a lot of it's, background. Ex, and... It's
2: extremely fascinating. Yeah. so we're we're happy to happy to hear uh, it out. I just wanted people to know that we're not just talking about Amish culture today, although yeah. it's a, yeah. a key focus of the.
1: I had right. one quick question. So when you were cutting up your driver's license, like how about how old you were you at that
0: point? That was in 1998, so I would have been 38. Okay,
1: so you had been driven, driving for over 20 years.
0: That's twenty-two years. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's that must be yeah a really crazy feeling. I can see why you remember that very distinctly.
0: <laughs> uh, my 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 wife was uh, not so uh, thrilled about it. She had not been quite on board with me. But see, in that setting, the man of the house is the head of the home, and he is the one that guides the spiritual. Uh, he's the spiritual guidance of the family, and he has to make the decisions. And the wife is, of course, the, the husband is supposed to consider the wife, but finally, ultimately, he makes the decision. And that's kind of how it turned out. I just felt so so deeply concerned about this. And I felt I had to move the family to this to this setting. And it and it's like my wife said at the time it's almost was like moving to a different country, to a foreign country, because even though she could actually speak Pennsylvania Dutch because she was raised that way, but yet it was a different, little bit different dialect and all different different people that she didn't know. And it was a different area, uh, very mountainous compared to where we had lived, and uh, just different everything. And it was just that way. And that's how I myself was able to uh, pick up the Pennsylvania Deitch, Mm -hmm. and I speak fluently now. It was a wonderful experience. They were very good to us and very accepting, much more um, friendlier even than what the Mennonites had been that we had been a part of previous. So I I still have a lot of fond memories. Uh, And we were there for about three and a half years. And sadly, uh, since it was a new and sort of uh, revolutionary type Amish movement, which would be a story in itself. Uh, <laughs> we'll, put a, uh,
1: we'll put an asterisk there and maybe someday come back to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so our particular settlement, for various reasons, uh, decided to disband. Uh, there were actually two settlements seven miles apart. And all in our settlement were wanting to move not to that settlement, but to another one in another state. There were some issues on... Not enough farmland, but there was also church issues. And I never, I, I had not not an interest to to go to that, that new settlement that they were wanting to go to. My primary goal was to stay away from the internal combustion engine. I felt like that was one of the greatest pollutions to the earth, to, to the creation. And and the group, as I had joined there, had had eschewed that technology. They didn't have any engines, they used everything with hand or horsepower, and this is just what I wanted. And now they were changing the rules. They were going to allow these things to come in and be the typical Amish community where they have diesel engines to run their shops and little gas engines to run their Maytag washer and chainsaws to cut their wood. And I was not interested in that. I wanted to teach my family, teach my boys to, to be happy with the crosscut saw, to be happy with working with horsepower, to run a woodworking shop with horsepower and all those type of interesting, fascinating ways of life without uh, polluting the air, the very air that we breathe. And so my one of my Amish neighbors suggested we move to a settlement in Missouri that his wife's family, his wife had some relatives out there, and that actually was a Mennonite community, but an old order Mennonite community. So this is going to be a little confusing, but over the years, there's been some crossovers through, through splits and divisions, and you actually have some old order Mennonite churches that are more conservative than some old order Amish. Okay. Okay. So, So this was, this is a legendary, they're legendary for their position. They, they, they don't have any engines. They haven't had them for a while and they're very restrictive. They're not quite a one true or one and only church, but they're real close to it, but their way of life and their, their working together is just amazing. I mean, building barns and houses, they, they, they built a whole community out there in just a few years. And it's just amazing the, the work ethic. And so we went out to visit and, Looked like this is what we wanted. So, I, again, I made the decision, and we moved to Missouri.
2: So, quick quick question on that. Do you, did you go out there by horse? Like, did you take your horse and buggy to from oh, Virginia?
0: Actually, no. That's one thing that most people probably, or some people don't realize, but the Amish are not completely against modern transportation. What they want is to not have their own people driving automobiles or trucks and such, but they allow the exceptions so that they can survive uh, to use uh, transportation, hired drivers, not part of their, their membership that can take them places. Okay. In case of moving, you'd hire a, a semi-truck driver that has a, a van. Sure. And yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. Okay. Load up and roll out that way. Okay. There are a few legendary Amish, like the Swartz Amish, that at one point they had the, the rule not to use tractor trailers, but they had to go by rail. Okay. Because it more conform, conformed to their way of life with steel wheels and their wagons and buggies and the steel wheels on the railroad. And the railroad had been along since the 1800s and it just fit more what they thought was the perfect way. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's splitting hairs, I realize that. But these people, they're famous for splitting hairs, you know, down to the buttons and pockets on their on their coats and the length of the beards and the the, the width of the brim on their hats or the size of the bonnets and the women's. I mean, they can spend hours uh, preparing for communion services and the ministers will go over all these details and any problem points, they'll go over that in detail and, you know, encourage the members to conform and submit to God, submit to the church. And it's a whole... It's a whole paradigm that's that a lot of that's very foreign to most people.
1: Yeah. But wow.
0: It, it's fascinating and extremely. You know. Wow.
1: Yeah, it is very fascinating. Okay, so so you moved to Missouri.
0: Yes, and this is where the story gets interesting, and we'll come more to to what your podcast is about. Um, in Missouri, um, I I sort of met my Waterloo because these people were sort of what I considered the ultimate in and separation from the world of that expression, uh, separation from the world. And uh, yet I found some hypocrisy amongst them. Uh, They were going to the library and not telling others, but some of the men were using the computers in the library to source information. And uh, this kind of blew my mind. I thought we would let others people, you know, it's okay to let other people do that, but for you yourself to do that, To use a computer seemed uh usually it was it was uh forboten, if you know that German word. Yeah. Most people that seems to be an adopted word for but that is German. So and and it started very small. I, I got a few DVDs in the mail for woodworking um information and I was curious enough and I when I realized that some of my own brethren were going behind the scenes and using computers, I I got a sort of a little brainstorm and kind of a sneaky side of myself and decided why couldn't I find a place to watch this little woodworking DVD. It wouldn't harm anyone. It's just between me and me and God. And, and, uh, so I did that. And, and also during this time, uh, as you know, in any long-term monogamous marriage, uh, things can get kind of, uh, monotonous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were, uh, uh, struggling as a couple to, at least I was to, uh, have that spark and flame that we had had when we were first married. And of course, I, I should uh, preface all this that there's a big difference between normal courtship and dating and marriage in the, in the greater society, at least here in America, compared to the Amish and Mennonite way of dating. To them, uh, dating or courtship, as they prefer to call it, is not to just date around and, and have fun. It's a serious matter of deciding who's going to be your life partner. Mm -hmm. And generally the person that you date after you have maybe prayed and and asked the Lord and and asked your elders and asked your parents blessings, the person that you finally, you know, it's the boy that always asks the girl The girl, not allowed to ask. So it's all in the boys part. The girls wait for the boys to ask. And then of course the girls do have the Liberty to say yes or no. Right. Um, But once they say yes. And once the courtship begins, it's usually considered that that's a done deal. You're probably going to get married in the next six months to a year or two, yeah, there is a freedom to to break up if for some reason there's insurmountable problems, but it's looked at as sort of a defeat, like you know well, you must not approve the Lord's will properly or something got in the way,
1: yeah, you didn't um, choose. Cor- you didn't choose correctly,
0: yes, yes. And and so and also uh, it's a hands off courtship so there's no uh, hand holding the only thing that is done is maybe shaking of hands as a handshake and greeting at the time of the of the get together and then the young couple will maybe have a devotional period with the young man leading the devotions because he's going to be the head of the house and then maybe they'll pray together and they'll discuss things that they find interesting together but there's no there's no kissing there's no no outward affection in fact even with married couples. It's very much uh, disapproved for married couples to show any outward sign of affection other than you know, working together, um, having a peaceful home, not getting into arguments or fights, uh, and showing just general kindness and hospitality toward each other, um, but any sort of hand-holding um, um, affection, kissing, for my wife, she never saw any of that of her parents. So she had no role model. So we were struggling. As I matured, as as a man, uh, I, I wanted to explore. I was more of an adventurous type lover. I found at first I was a very shy young man, but as I as we grew uh, and had our children, uh, I and we were going through the our days, our married days. Um, it just seemed like it was getting more difficult for me to to um, function properly. Uh, and for my wife to really have an interest and and so for her, it became more of a of a, um, of a dutiful duty and i didn 't find it as I got older I, I found i was more i was became more of the feminine or i felt like I was exemplifying more of the feminine uh, um, aspects of needing the connection
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the, the mental connection i needed to see that she was connected with me and and didn't and wasn't you know thinking of something you know far away sort of like the that old uh, story of of someone in here in the u.s in the 1700s was it that said that when her husband comes to her bedroom she just uh, lays down spreads her legs and thinks of england
2: <laughs> right right yeah.
0: yeah you've heard that before perhaps
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for you, basically.
0: No, no. I began to come to the point where I, I just, I was dysfunctional. I didn't have ED, but I could not complete. I could not uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, come, uh, mm-hmm. ejaculate. It just, it, it, I was hard, but I just couldn't come. And a, a funny thing happened uh, when my parents passed away, and I was going through their things. My dad had a lot of different magazines uh health magazines because he was quite a health-minded person and he had this magazine called prevention magazine which was printed by rodale press for many years i'm not sure if it's still in print but in in those um they had there was one ad by a company called the sinclair institute and it had in in bold letters uh, sex education for adults and i thought wow that's interesting and of course at this point I, we had what I call now a sex starved marriage.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I was sort of climbing the wall sometimes for, for connection, but, uh, and, and, and sort of, uh, I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel wanted and loved and it it was more just a, a dutiful thing on my partner's part. So, uh, I, I decided to send for the information, uh, much to my wife's chagrin. She thought this was something we shouldn't do. It should only come from the church, you know, religious books or something, uh, Christian counseling books. But I was desperate and so I sent for the information and they started sending us catalogs with really sensual uh, pictures of the, what what they do. Sinclair Institute, if you don't know about them, there's also another company similar called uh, the Alexander Institute, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. And they specialize in, in creating mm-hmm. uh, videos of actual couples having sex together and showing all the different positions and the different um, techniques and they have Uh, Certified sexual counselors, teachers, uh, and, and um, mentors that will, that will uh, give their stamp of approval. And sometimes they'll actually come on and give lectures on the videos as well as to what you're going to see and why this is um, anatomically correct and why it's proven to be a a good way. I think they're not uh, better, better relations, better sex. And uh, so my wife, of course, didn't like these catalogs coming. Uh, they, they were too Im- immorally or immodest for the children to see. And this was
1: while you were still living in Missouri, right? Yes,
0: yeah. yes. And there was a time when we were, um, we were having sex, and I just, couldn't, I just couldn't come. And I was working hard. I mean, I was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't happening. And at one point, I think she felt a little sorry for me. She said, you know, um, that catalog came in the mail the other day. I said, it did? Where is it? She's down on the bottom of the drawer of the dresser. So I quick jumped off the bed, got the, got the magazine or not magazine catalog out from the uh, drawer and looked at it for a little bit and, and got back in position. And just like that, I, I was able <laughs> to And something clicked within me to, to realize that I needed some more stimulus. I need something to help me. And of course, to my wife, that made her probably feel like she's no longer good enough. Right, uh, typical reaction in a monogamous uh, setting you know, mindset, but she allowed that, which was very interesting. So, uh, of course, not having electricity, not having the, even telephones in our homes, there was no possible way that I could watch any of those videos unless I did something very radical. Uh, but I kept thinking about them, and I, I was so struggling with this. In fact, at one point, I, I found a payphone in town, and I called the Sinclair Institute and somehow by chance got connected to the president of the institute. Wow. And, yes. And uh he was very candid and very kind, but very uh curt and he asked me what's my problem and I said what it is. He said, well do you smoke? Do you drink? I said, no, I don't do either of those. Well I said probably you're just having um, you know, uh you, you have a mind block and it'd be good if you will watch our video series called Better Sex, a better sex video series. I said, Well I don't even have a telephone. I'm calling from a payphone. Well, he said you could read some of her books, perhaps. So I quickly ordered some of his books. We're big. the books were, you know, hardly any pictures, just basically words, which some good information. But it just wasn't helping that much. And and then uh, through a roundabout way, uh, I guess I began breaking down in my convictions. I began transforming and wanting to so badly wanting to get this information. I was willing to, to break the rules and. Of course, actually, technically, I wasn't breaking rules because they had never made a rule about not having uh, a DVD player <laughs> because it was such a new thing. Right. Uh, but I, I took my horse and buggy and drove up to a, a town that not many of our people went to, and I was went to a Walmart store, and I actually didn't have this in mind, but it was around Christmas time, and I was looking for a battery because we did use batteries to, to power our buggy lights. And then I saw in this one section these remote DVDs that they had at the time for children in cars when they're traveling yep. so they could watch something and be entertained and not bother the parents while they're driving.
2: Right. So it had a little screen on it, right? Like a
0: little yes. five-inch screen? Yes. And a little, this was a little bit bigger, maybe eight-inch. And it also had remote headphones, wireless headphones that went with it. And all of a sudden, a light bulb popped on in my mind, and I thought, that would work. But then I went through a deep struggle. Should I do this? Wouldn't this be sinful? Would, would God be displeased if I did this? But I, I just, oh, I just, I just, I had to do something. I had to get this information. I had so much wanted to learn. I wanted to put the spark back in our marriage. I wanted to see what I was missing. And so I, I went ahead and bought it. And I was really, really uh, nervous as I bought it. Because I thought, what if someone that works at Walmart, who might know some of our people, might Talk to one of our people, sort of off the cuff, and say, "Hey, uh, do you people use DVDs? Uh, uh, I saw one of your people come in, and I don't care if you do, but I didn't think you did, you know." And and that would just really, you know, that would that would uh, blow the whole thing wide open because then they would start making a search amongst its members, and <laughs> so but. Happened. It never happened. It never happened, thankfully, although I probably just, uh, blushed about three shades of red as I went to the counter to buy it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, and I uh, took it outside in my buggy and tried to get it hooked up, and it, and it wouldn't work, and I, it took a while, but I finally did figure out how to work it with a regular 12-volt battery. And uh, I took it home, and I did this all at a time when the rest of most of the family were gone back east to visit my wife's family in Pennsylvania, And just me and one other of our children who were there to help me with chores while they were gone. So I timed it everything properly. I even used a mail order instead of using the checks because my wife did the book work and I didn't want her to know about it. Not because I wanted to be necessarily dishonest, but it was one of those things that if, if it, if uh, members in such a church like that, they have to, they have been taught so strongly in their conscience that if they're their mate, even their married partner, does something that they think is wrong, they have to report that to the ministry. Right, right. So you've got to kind of feel your 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 partner out. And once you know they're on board, then maybe you can break the news. But if they're not on board, then you have to be very careful.
3: Yeah. And
0: it's not that I felt wrong about doing it. Um, if any of the listeners are familiar with the Bible passages, there's one chapter, Romans chapter 14, where the Apostle Paul lays out that Uh, Some people eat meat offered to idols, and they don't think anything of it. And other people, they're terribly offended, and they would sin before God if they would eat eat the meat. To to Apostle Paul, he said, it's just meat. Go ahead and eat it. But if a brother comes and sees you eating, then just stop eating so you don't offend your brother and cause him to sin. And then the last verse says, happy is the man that condemneth not himself and that which he alloweth. Now, that's the old King James, old English uh, version, but that's how I memorized it. So in other words, basically, if you can keep it to yourself and be f- between you and God uh, and you feel okay with it, then it's perfectly fine, but just don't blast it about. Don't uh, cause others, don't let others uh, know that you know might be offended by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have maybe a more sensitive conscience, whereas you maybe have a, a bit stronger conscience. You're, you're okay with this. So that's how I took it, and I felt like as long as I kept it between myself and God then I'm okay. And that's how I work through this in my religious mindset. Right. Okay. So I, so that's how I began my journey. And, and, and one of the first, uh, I did get that, that series that the, uh, the president of Sinclair Institute recommended called the better sex series. And the the host of the video series uh, made a distinct statement that stuck with me. She said, if you've never seen anything like what we're going to show you now, then you'll never be the same afterwards. It's pretty bold. Yeah. And was and it true? Was it, yeah, was it true? Uh, absolutely true. <laughs> Once I saw the liberty and the freedom that couples can have and, and the creativity that couples can have, even just simply monogamous married couples, which that's what they were displaying, they weren't getting into uh, polyamory or, or swinging. Although, actually, some of their videos now, especially the, Sim- uh, the Alexander Institute, have some very, very good, Videos on swinging. If you're, if anyone is interested, huh. okay, we'll have to look those yeah, up. Yeah, we'll look into it. Highly recommend it. Two, two different videos on that. And you can, you can now, um, they've, they've advanced from the si- simple DVDs to you can get video on demand from them. Okay. So much simpler. So yeah, it, it def- definitely changed my viewpoint. And I, of course, desperately wanted to introduce my wife to this as well, but I didn't quite know how. I mean, how was I going to? Number one, I was looking at what, what they would have considered as pornography, although I don't really consider it now as pornography. It was actually uh, instruction, teaching. Um, in fact, I liken it into some of our, our midwifery books, uh, our childbirth books, which I should have mentioned maybe earlier that we had all our children at home, and I was the midwife for the most part. I delivered all 10 of our children. Wow. Uh, uh, so we had some very interesting and uh, forthright books. One was written by... Um, they're, it's called Spiritual Midwifery, um, and her name is not coming to me, but uh, Ina May Gaskin, yes, from the, the hippie commune down in Summertown, Tennessee, called The Farm. Maybe some of the older viewers or listeners would know about that. And Spiritual Midwifery is a very fascinating book. It has lots of anecdotal stories of couples and their experiences with, with childbirth. And, of course, being hippies, they were sort of a mixture of Christianity and Buddhism and so they would have a lot of spiritual um, talk and jargon. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and they had
0: some really clear pictures. I mean, actual pictures of the birth happening, uh, real photographs, black and white, but it was still photographs. Yeah. And I felt like if we are so concerned about childbirth and, and, and study these books, even Amish and Mennonites, and why can't we also learn about some very important aspects of, of, of couples in their and in their love life together? Right, right. right.
1: After but, all, that's but, how the children get
0: there, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so, like I said, I was picking a rock in a hard place because what I was looking at was considered porn. And, and also because of being in the old order setting, any such devices such as videos or DVD players, even for simple things, if it wasn't even on the subject of sex, maybe it could be on woodworking or farming. All that would be forbidden in such a setting like that, just right. as much automobile or, or radio or telephone. Uh, so I did try to, um, uh, I would get books where I could and try to introduce them to my, my partner, my wife. Uh, she read some of them, but not many of them. I did find and really enjoyed the book called the joy of sex. Mm-hmm. Familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, and- yeah.
1: Yeah. People have recommended that.
0: Alex Comfort, uh, MD, was the author. He's no longer around. But um, it did have a lot of drawings in it. And I felt like maybe she would accept that. At first, she was even adverse to that. But she finally did accept it to some degree, uh, but only with res- deep reservation. And we did try a few things like vibrators. I tried to introduce vibrators to help her to come to orgasm. And she was able to come to orgasm, which I was grateful for. And we did have some some few good times, but again, it, it seemed like there was something, we just had lost that spark in our marriage. We, we we couldn't find the creativity that we needed. And when I would try more creative, like maybe have outdoor sex in a very secluded spot, she just, she wouldn't even consider it. She just was terrified to think that one of the children would come and see us or, uh, or some other, you know, uh, artful position that we might get into that would be a turn on. She just thought it was sort of, crazy. Uh, in fact, especially the thought I was when I uh, discovered through the videos I was watching, the most amazing phenomena that I'd never heard before, and that is female ejaculation. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote Deborah Sundahl, who is one of the primary um, uh, pioneers in helping women all across America, if not throughout the world, this, this power of, of the women, and of the, of the feminine flow, of the, the feminine fountain of, mm-hmm. of ejaculation. I had some personal correspondence with her and also watched some of her amazing uh, videos that she made on that subject. I was just just enthralled. I didn't realize that this could happen. And I I shared, of course, not the video, but the books to my wife, and she thought that was just totally bizarre, absolutely no consideration whatsoever for that. (laughs) So I, I hit ground zero on that one. Uh, at one point, I, I determined to go to a counselor, a secular counselor, to see if uh, she could help us. And uh, my wife refused for a while. And finally, I said, I'm just going to go myself. If you're not going, I'm going myself. And at that point, she said, well, I guess I'm going to go because it was a woman counselor. And I didn't necessarily pick a woman counselor for, for a woman, but it, it seemed like she had the qualifications that I was looking for. But my wife was concerned that it might happen. There's always a deep concern in those settings that there might be some temptation. uh, Because, you know, if you think the Old Testament is strict, then the New Testament is even more so in this matter. Jesus said, if you even look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So she was concerned I would go up with this marriage counselor, a woman, and be in her office all just between me and her. And this could bring a temptation and I might be lusting after another woman and committing adultery. So she felt she had to go with me and, uh, well, it didn't work too well. Um, I, I'd hope it would, it would go over better. I'd even, uh, pre-talked to the counselor and asked her, if she could help me to introduce my wife to the videos and maybe she would let us watch it right there. and Maybe that would be acceptable, but that didn't work. So, uh, I went, uh, we went home and I was rather defeated. And, uh, then, uh, It remained that way until we moved uh, to Maine. I live now in Maine. And the reason we moved uh, from that idyllic group in Missouri was due to the hypocrisy that we did see, not only myself, but my family began to see the hypocrisy. Uh, Some of the key members were using cell phones uh, clandestinely to do business. And uh, it would have been okay for me if they would have appointed certain... Choice members to use the cell phone for the different important business communications, but because they every spring and fall during the communion time periods, they would lay out the rules. They they would always reiterate that use of the cell phone is completely forbidden. And one minister went so far as to say that he thinks the cell phone was definitely an invention of, of the devil. And so, if you take it that strong, and yet your members, key members, are using it, it right. doesn't match very well. Right. And so that, that tended to break down the conviction in my family and some of my older sons who were upper teenagers by then began to borrow cell phones and use cell phones. And I even myself did. And that was due to my wife's prompting, which is a surprise. But, um, um, <clears throat> because I was spending too much time, I would hitch up the horse and buggy and go seven miles to the nearest pay phone only to find three or four other Mennonite brethren using the phone in front of me. And I had to wait my turn. And sometimes till I got to the phone, the businesses were closed that I needed to call. So that's when my good wife uh, said, well, why don't you just use the neighbors when she comes to buy strawberries or milk or whatever? Just ask her. She's friendly. I said, what are you talking about? We, we shouldn't be doing that. Well, you know, you save a lot of time. And finally, I just couldn't resist the temptation. And I started using the cell phone. And uh, my neighbor, conveniently, I don't know if she bought it from me or not, but she conveniently had an extra cell phone. And she said, just keep it. Just use it as you need it. And so I, I kept it. And um, finally, at one point we got found out <laughs> and that's when the axe fell and uh, they were determined to um, discipline us for this. And I, of course, I said, we're doing just what you're doing. But uh, as one person joked later, we didn't have the last or the proper surname. Uh, if you had the uh, the who, name Hoover or Aslan or other name uh, that was, you know, very prominent, then you probably would have just gotten a slap on the back of your hand and need to make a confession to church, and it would have been all good. But for us, no, we were still kind of outsiders, even though we'd been there for eight years. Uh, we were still the outsiders, and uh, they had us marked, and they, they excommunicated us and put us in the band. Wow. So you know what it's like in an Amish Mennonite setting to be put in the band and you know it's a difficult situation. I... Yeah, I have no I have idea what no that's idea. like, but
1: I can imagine that it's not fun.
0: <laughs> well, no, they won't eat with you. They won't buy anything from you. You can't go to their stores and buy anything. They don't want to do any business with you. They, they try to be kind to you, and they'll still invite you to come to church. But uh, the whole purpose is to try to get you to break and 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 repent and confess or, you know, accept your discipline. It was a very difficult situation, and we just didn't feel accepted any longer. And... Uh, that's when we started looking elsewhere and we found an Amish settlement that was more open-minded and more, uh, broad-minded in Maine. And, uh, we decided to move, move here. So that's that part of the story. Then what happened to, to get back on track as far as the purpose of your podcast, um, at the same time as I was becoming, having this sort of, um, what do we call it? Sort of a strange dichotomy or, um, um you might have to edit this you're good you're
1: good,
3: you're good.
0: almost like an um, an awakening kind of thing
3: awakening in my
0: life but i was also sort of living a double standard Right you know, yeah. here i was and it was sort of co- cognitive dissonance is what i was trying to think okay yeah. yeah yeah it's like thomas jefferson he owned slaves but he was adamantly against slavery and yet the, only, the reason he kept slaves is because he didn't know how to operate otherwise. He had Monticello there to take care of, and he needed all these different servants to help him to, to maintain the grounds. Sure. And while he opposed slavery and wrote about it. Yet he himself kept slaves. We call that, um, what was the word I used? Cognitive uh, dissonance. Yeah, yeah. Cognitive dissonance. Sorry. I'm blanking out here. Um, so I, I had this struggle and at the same time I had met a man in Missouri that, um, uh, uh, was a good. We became good friends. We were a bit of an odd couple because he was not Mennonite, but um, um, he he began helping me in some things and uh, doing some of the driving when I needed an extra driver to take me where I couldn't go, which was allowed to a limited degree. Um, and for some reason, we became very good friends. I'm not sure if it's because of my explorations in the forbidden. But I needed somebody to be able to have, be a sounding board for me. And he sort of became that. And at one point, still being a Christian, I asked him, uh, uh, Lynn was his name, short for Leonard. I said, uh, "What, by the way, what church do you go to? And he said, well, I, uh, I really would rather not say. I mean, I asked him what he believed. He so I'd rather not say. I said, why not? We're, we're good friends. Why can't you tell me? He said, well, he says, when I tell people, they either shun me or try to convert me. And I said, well, I won't do that. I'm... You know, we're friends. He said, well, I, I just don't believe in anything. Uh, and essentially, he was the first real atheist that I ever met. That's essentially what he was trying to tell me. Right. Uh, so he didn't use that, that the A word at yeah. uh, that moment. And so I said, okay, that's fine. I'm still friends with you, and I really appreciate your help. And, uh, and he was just that. In fact, after we were put in the ban uh, and then decided to make the move, He was the most helpful person I could ever imagine. I couldn't understand this, how an atheist, who we believe was a sinner going to hell, could be so helpful and kind. And he even went to the point of helping me load the last semi-trailer. My family was already in Maine, and I had to come back. And he helped me to like 11 o'clock at night and still asked that as we closed the, the tractor trailer doors, is there anything else I can help you with? And his wife was there with him. And I said, no, thanks, Lynn. I really, really appreciate that. And I, of course, went to the house and crashed, uh, totally tired, worn out. But he also drove my family without any charge, the 1,800 miles from Missouri, western Missouri, up to Maine, other than the charge for the gas. Wow. And wow. Of his uh, drove the another smaller U-Haul truck that we had for smaller items, uh, and I rode with him. And he also did it without any charge. I, of course, I paid for the rental truck, but he just did it. Free on board and i was just so uh, blown away by this show of kindness and love by people that i generally would have not considered you know that could exemplify such kindness i mean they were centers are supposed to be uh, uh selfish self-centered people that look out just for themselves but these people were looking out for me right right and my family so this uh built up a deep respect and and a in a in a um A a confusion in my mind how this could be and so but i still was that you know when when you lose your faith and after being in such an immersion of of deep fundamentalism it it doesn't leave you all at once it it goes by bits and pieces
1: it's, it's a process
0: yeah it's a process uh someone said one time who also came from a pentecostal background that i watched a very interesting youtube video on He likened it unto, like, maybe seven pillars. And I suppose there could be more, but seven is a significant number in the Christian faith. Right. You could have the pillar of, like, faith, of fellowship, of family, of prayer, of of, um, different things. And so he had seven pillars. He said, generally, a Christian might suffer the crumble of one or two pillars in their Christian life as they go through their life because of doubt or disbelief, and they still remain a Christian. But if too many of those pillars crumble, then the whole thing comes tumbling down. And that's what was happening with me. Little by little, my my reserve was crumbling, even though I was still trying uh, to soldier through it and do my best to convert my friend to Jesus. And after we got here to Maine, I should say that uh, the situation was a bit different because the Amish here did allow the telephone in, in a little phone shed. So we could have a, a phone shed and we could have voicemail and use it like a mailbox and people would call us. It was supposed to be out of earshot so you couldn't hear the phone and it wouldn't disrupt the family time and you could just go out there and use it as you needed it for a business tool. Of course, that also allowed me to occasionally in the evening time uh, call my friend Lynn and we'd have a discussion. And of course, while he said, while I said I didn't want to try to convert him, in actuality, I couldn't help it. I really wanted to convert him. And so we'd have these friendly discussions, but every time he would turn it around and he would uh, help me to see that I wasn't thinking properly. And he also many times said, I really shouldn't be talking with you because I'm a concern what this could do for you and your family. If you would happen to begin to change your mind. And I said, that's all right. I'm fine. I, I figured in myself, I had God on my side, no problem. But as time went on, it just it crumbled more and more. And and he knew I had access to the Internet by that time. Uh, he said, why don't you watch this series? We talked about evolution and creation. And, of course, I was a young Earth creationist, as, as all Amish Midnight people are, and most Pentecostals are, for that matter, uh, that we believed that the Earth was created in six 24-hour days, and the seventh day God rested. Mm-hmm. Whatever the Bible said, we believed it. There was a little saying that says, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Right. And that's, that was our mindset. But uh, he began to help me to see that uh, that I didn't understand evolution or evolutionary biology at all, and that it was much more fascinating and much more intricate and much more explainable than just a miraculous uh, God making cows and sheep and animals and one day and poof in the mountains, poof in the you know the sea. Right. Uh, uh, whereas you know as creationists, we we had silly silly jokes and stories about the evolutionists that showed clearly we didn't have a clue what true evolutionary science or biology was about so once he helped me see that and and geared or guided me towards video series called the foundational falsehoods of creationism and i watched the entire series i had to because he was my friend and i didn't just want to argue and you know talk over his head or talk against him i wanted to actually consider what he was saying and so when i watched these videos then I just saw so clearly, it's just like a light bulb moment. I just saw that actually evolution by lot, excuse me, evolutionary biology is, is actually factual. It makes a whole lot more sense than the creation story. And that's when everything started really crumbling. And the last straw was um, an interesting website that I came across through the recommendation of another free-thinking friend called Why Won't God Heal Amputees? And myself, I, I have actually a bit of an amputee situation. I um, lost a finger in a, in a table saw accident and maimed another finger. And uh, soon after I had that happen, I met a, a former Pentecostal friend when I was visiting my parents. I was already on my Mennonite journey, but he met me and we visited. And he had been my best friend in earlier years. And he was, had become a part of a faith healing type Pentecostal church that believed with enough prayer God could heal and do anything. He said, Kenneth, if you had enough faith and prayed, God would answer your prayer and, and give you your fingers back completely like they were before the accident. And I just off the cuff said, no, God doesn't work that way today. Oh, yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. And we just couldn't agree. Uh, and we went our separate ways. And I never thought about it afterwards. I just had to, the Mennonites don't believe much in miracles, the modern miracles. They just take miracles in the Bible, and that's good enough for them. And they may believe in a little bit of healing of minor healing. there's some instruction in the, in the New Testament of anointing with oil of elders to the sick and it's supposed to heal them. but I never saw any real healings. It just people either got sick and either died or they got better. so when I came across this site during this journey of uh, of towards free thinking, I, I thought that's really an interesting question. Why won't God heal amputees and it was laid out in such a wonderful way that I began to realize that. Actually, the reason why God doesn't heal amputees is because he isn't there. In other words, uh, he he can heal things that uh, are sort of ambiguous, like maybe uh, cataracts or or, or appendicitis or hearing problems or things that you can't quite put your hand on. Maybe cancer victims even might think they were healed. But if if you would pray and ask God to heal an amputee, maybe not a person like myself, but say a young child that was in an accident and had their legs taken off um and have their whole life in front of them what if we created a prayer chain and and hundreds and thousands of people would be praying for them wouldn't god see fit to heal them and if he did wouldn't that make those of us who are doubting uh uh step back and say hey there's something out there mm-hmm. because because you when you see something formed flesh and blood and not i'm not talking about prosthesis i'm talking about a real arm or mm-hmm. a real leg right um, right yeah that just Happen, And I even saw videos of uh, people going to some of these famous Pentecostal faith healers and they would uh, purposely get people like uh, that have permanent spinal cord injuries where they're quadriplegiacs or paraplegiacs or down syndromes people and they would wheel them into the, the the meeting where they were having this faith healing services where people were supposedly getting healed or hearing problems and so forth. And these faith healers would refuse to pray for these these. These disabled people—they wow. actually took them away, which was clear evidence that they couldn't do it.
3: Right,
0: it, it was possible. And so that's that was kind of the last straw where I realized that actually, in my mind, I concluded that that God is imaginary. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an atheist now, I I, I will say for those uh, listeners who are um, still have a faith in God of some sort. Um, I can't prove a negative that God doesn't exist completely and absolutely, but for for all practical purposes, that's that's the way I see it.
3: Okay. And I'm much more
0: happy now uh, as a free thinker, and it also opened the door for a much more um, greater exploration uh, in my in my life. But of course, as my friend Lynn warned me, I would suffer serious consequences if I would come to that conclusion. Right. And of of course, I did, because that doesn't jive very well in a fundamentalist sect like the, the, the Amish.
1: Right, of course, yeah.
0: So um, several things happened. Um, I actually couldn't, I actually didn't feel I could hide the fact there are some atheists that try to stay in the closet. There's even ministers that are preaching from the pulpit that no longer believe. And they're in a very tight spot because most of them are salary ministers and they've made their livelihood this way. They don't know what else to do. In the Amish and Mennonite setting, ministers aren't paid. They're just ordained from the laity, and they work like anybody else. Uh, but in most general society churches, uh, as we call the higher churches or more worldly churches, then that's more of a problem. Uh, and they can hide it or they stay in the closet until they find a safe way to come out, where for me, I, I couldn't because I had already been in questioning if there was a God, and I had actually opened up to one of the ministers about that. So he knew I was doubting, and I could not live with myself to live a double life any longer. And so, at the time of the examination that they have each each uh, several weeks before communion time, which is a big deal with the Mennonites and Amish, um, I just admitted to the ministry in the interview that I I couldn't go on. I I didn't feel like I had faith anymore. Like my faith was crumbling, and I asked if they could just release me from membership, and uh, they. It looked at least a little bit that they might do that, but in the end, they, they couldn't just let me go. They had to excommunicate me. But in the process, um, before that happened, um, one of my sons happened to find my locked, padlocked box that had my videos in. <laughs> While I was gone on a trip to visit my sister, and he was around 17, 18 years old with hormones raging. And he found these things. Uh, I don't know how he broke into the metal metal box. I kept it hidden. And uh, he had also was having struggles with masturbation. When I say struggles, it's because in these, this setting, masturbation is considered very sinful. Right. It's self-abuse. In the German, we have the term "selbstbeflecken," which means dirtying oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, when you're in such a religious setting where you're strictly taught that such things can, can land you right in the fires of hell, then you might do this for a while, but then you hit what I call a religious guilt wall where you just can no longer sleep at night. You just can't live with yourself. You want to get right with God. You want to confess the sin. What do you do to get this peace with God, the, the back that you used to have? And, uh, one of the most common things is make confession. Well, it would have been one thing if he would come to me and say, Dad, you know, why do you have these things? And also, by the way, I'm having struggles with masturbation. What should I do about it? And I could have told him, number one, at that point, I no longer at all believe that masturbation was wrong. In fact, I realized through my sex education that it was actually good.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's the foundation of understanding how our body works. Uh, uh, and so I could have told him, well, just keep it to yourself. I realize that the church teaches this way, but actually it's okay. But as far as the videos, I'm not sure what I would have done. However, um, he did what could have been the worst thing to do, and that is he went to the ministers and made confession, as well as telling them what he found.
1: (laughs) Well, at this point, your wife still didn't know either.
0: No, she didn't. So this is where where the shit hits the fan. Okay. And I come home, and I notice something really different, a real different atmosphere in the home, especially with my wife. And I'm like, what's going on? And it wasn't long before I found out that what had happened and I said, Oh boy, this is going to be a real roller coaster ride from here on out. <laughs> yeah. You got, yeah. Wow. So I was, I was really, uh, I was really, uh, boy, I was tarred and feathered real quick. Um, they, they gave me six weeks to repent. And uh, they even the whole church even had a time of prayer and fasting for a whole day for, for me. Cause I was well known. I mean, but this time I was in amongst these circles for over 30 years and I knew people in many different levels of, of the groups. And, uh, it just, it was just, I guess it was just a terrible shock to so many people that I would be involved in such a deep, dark sin. Um, and, but I was at the point of no return because even if I could have conformed and gotten rid of my little clandestine DVD player or my little, uh, at that time I had a, uh, Samsung tablet, which was my internet connection. Uh-huh. Um, even if I would have gotten rid of all those things, I still would have hit hit the wall when it came to uh, admitting that I, or or to believe again in in the simplicity or the simple creation myth. I could no longer believe that because my mind was open to that. Nor did I want to go back to um, the uh, the uh, sexual um, um, restrictions or could I say repression that I that I found. Amongst such such sex as these, so I was, I, I couldn't I couldn't back up, and yet I felt very sad. I saw what was happening, and it was very difficult. They well, did finally put me in the band,
3: uh-huh. and
0: then I was in that situation. Not it, see in in Missouri, we were all together: my wife, myself, and several of my sons were all in the band together over this silly issue of the of the cell phone. But here it was. Only myself and my whole family pretty well standing against me.
1: Right. So you were in a position where you were losing everything that you knew, all of your, yes. your family, your wife, your and all your entire community and your religion and everything that
0: you had yes. known. Yeah. It was a real, it was almost like someone said it's, it's like character assassination.
1: Yeah. The
0: person that you were is no longer living. There's a new you that has come out. Wow. Uh, yeah. In the, in circles, we call it deconversion. Mm-hmm. It's not a dictionary, but it's a term we use called deconversion. And and for many, it's a bittersweet experience because we, we have found what makes much more sense to us, more or less using religious terms, we've come to the light. Uh, but on the other hand, it's sort of like for people that aren't familiar with, uh, with other sects, I, I sometimes try to use another sect to give an example. If I would have been raised Mormon, and had believed in the Mormon story and been married and maybe had parents and grandparents in the faith many generations and had become married, had a whole row of children, even become an elder in the church, and at one point had began to question, for whatever reason, the validity of the story of Joseph Smith and finding the golden plates. And I began to realize that it's all bogus. Mm -hmm. Then that's the point where you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? And I've heard stories of men, there's probably women too, I'm sure, but one man in particular that he, he had converted to Mormonism as a young man, sort of like myself, the Mennonite, the Mennonites, and he was gung-ho, uh, totally sold out. His friend thought he was crazy, but he anyhow, he fell in love with a Mormon girl, married, they had a big family, he became an elder in the church, and then at one point he began questioning it. Just something broke in him, and, he, and he, he took two weeks off, and he read through the whole Bible, maybe it was a little more than two weeks, as well as the Book of Mormon, and at the end he realized he didn't believe any of it. And for a while he kept quiet about it because he knew the repercussions. But finally, he 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 confessed to his wife maybe six months later that he didn't believe this anymore, and she promptly divorced him and took the family, and left. So you know, it, it, it's a sad experience. But a person like him, a person like myself, it, it's hard to go back once you've. It's like someone said one time was one of the famous judges that, um, um Sir Oliver Wendell Holmes made the comment that uh, one's mind, once enlightened can never return to its original dimensions. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of where I found myself.
1: Yeah. Right. And that makes a lot of sense, but it, you're also facing losing everything in your life for that. But like you said, you're, you're, you're caught.
0: Yeah. And I was, I was a, the curious type mind person. So I always search for truth. And I tend sometimes uh, say lightly that the, the the search for truth that led me to the Mennonite Sanamish is what also led me out. I was, I guess, always a seeker and always seeking for greater truth, and I still am that way. If I find something that makes more sense to me, then then I'll discard what is no longer making sense and uh, go for the good stuff. So uh, that was the journey, and uh, I was, I was. Once I got out of the God box, I opened up to much more. Um, uh, openness towards, uh, human sexuality. And one of the books that was very, very instrumental in helping me was the book called sex and God. Okay. I recommend to all your listeners, uh, Dr. Daryl Ray, who is a, is a clinical psychologist and at one time was a, uh, a Christian himself. He's now an atheist and uh, as like I am, uh, longer than I've been. And he wrote this very fascinating book called sex and God. Um, and, the subtitle is How Religion Distorts Sexuality. And one of the chapters, uh, the heading to one of the, uh, the subtitle of one of the chapters says that you can take God out of sex, but you can't, you can take, you can take religion out of sex, but you can't take sex out of religion. Right. Yeah. That, that many religious leaders and religious organizations for millennia have used the uh, sexual laws and regulations and restrictions to control their people. And it's such a basic human need and desire that it's very easy to control people and make people think that they're guilty when really they're not. Right.
3: Right.
0: And so this book was very eye-opening to me and actually helped me to understand homosexuality and other human, uh, other aspects of of, of, our, of our humanity. That uh, you know, being raised in the fundamental sect that I was, I was extremely homophobic. I was taught that that's dirty and horrible. We were told that homosexuals were predators and akin to pedophiles. Mm -hmm. They were trying to, and and that you, you chose that. You didn't, you weren't, you weren't born that way. You chose that. And usually it was because you were looking at pornography as a young man or as a boy. And then that just Satan and his demons entered your mind. And then you became perverted and you did these horrible perverted things that homosexuals do. Um, And please, for those who are gay listening to this, don't take that wrongly. I don't believe that way at all any longer, but that's how we thought. Mm-hmm. That's how we believed. And I I still, even though I had lost my faith in God, I still had a lot of these hangups. And this book helped me to see that it's a, it's a purely natural uh, experience and depends on how you're born and, and what your orientation is. The, the, it went into this, some of the science of, of the fetus and how, you know, there's male chromosomes and female, you know, the X and Y chromosomes. And if there's the time is different. The timing, when that, that changes, it can it can make a person, you know, oriented one way or the other.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, I had no more of the religious uh, um, backing. I couldn't use the Bible because I didn't really believe that to be valid. And so I, uh, my mind was open. And I remember uh, one time as I was reading the book, which my wife didn't approve of, but I was still reading it, and we were... Uh, that evening in, in bed reading us was our habit before we went to sleep. And I said, hey, you know what? Um, and I read this paragraph where it lays out clear that, that homosexuality is a natural occurrence. And my wife said, well, that's not right because even animals don't do that. But the very next paragraph said talk about how the bonobos practice all sorts of uh, variations of sex, you know, anal sex, mm-hmm. you know, even face-to-face sex, like we thought only humans did that. And yet the, these animals do that. I said, yeah, and I read this this other paragraph and she didn't know what to say. She was totally floored because you know that was that was the go-to argument why animals don't even do that.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. So at, at this point you were still you were still married then when you Yes, I
0: was. Okay. So what happened with my marriage is uh um, it, 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 I, I, I I like to say that the the, the Shunning was sort of like uh the Chinese water torture. Uh, it was little by little, drop by drop, and I was concerned that I might lose my sanity because my, my sons were uh, ferreted away from me. They were sent to different jobs. They weren't allowed to work with me on the farm. I had to beg for help. Uh, that they, they wouldn't allow me to talk to any of the children, even my younger my younger girls that I adored, uh, and I was still their, their daddy. Uh, they would watch every word that I said. I couldn't have any time alone with them. We couldn't hardly go on hikes together. Uh, it was just, and, and some of the children who, any of the children that were members weren't allowed to eat at the table with me. So it was that tension every day, day in and day out. And I just, I was concerned for my mental health. Uh, there was one man that had converted to the Amish and he was like me, but much older. He looked like a grandfather. Uh, and he could speak the Pennsylvania Dutch and you'd think he was an Amish person, but he had been raised out on the outside and he had, um, had never given up the, the belief of evolutionary biology, just thought it made a lot, a lot of sense. And he somehow connected it with his faith in God and was okay with it. But that got him put in the band with the homage, just that simple fact. And so for years he was in the band. And then one day he up and and killed himself. He just couldn't take it any longer. And I'm not sure if all the reasons, but apparently the stress in the home was too much for him. Uh-huh. And I was from my own mental, mental state. So, at one point, I just took my wife aside and said, I'm sorry, it's, uh, I can't go on like this. I think we just need to end the marriage. And you must understand, in these settings, they don't believe in divorce. They would never, uh, they would refuse all efforts to have divorce go through. And I didn't know what to do. So I just uh, moved out of the house and uh, lived in a separate building on the farm. Uh, That's the best I knew to do. And from there, that continued like that for probably about a year. And uh, it was after that time that I happened to meet uh, the partner that I'm with now. It was sort of happenstance. Uh, she lived in an off-grid home, which is fascinating to me uh, uh, because Amish are off-grid, but she had solar panels and had electric and lights, but in the modern light, but but didn't wouldn't to the grid so that was fascinating i got to visiting the partner that she was with was actually from hutterite background so we had some similarities and commonalities hutterites are one of the branches of the of the mennonites or the anabaptists is the overall arching term under the anabaptists you have the hutterites the mennonites and the amish and okay. some other sub, sub, subgroups brethren is another subgroup uh hutterites are very commonly known for their communal living they have everything common um Everybody shares everything. Nobody owns anything, except they do have their individual husbands and wives and families to a certain extent. Um, so we had some common ground, uh, and I never expected it. I, I mean, I must admit that I was sorely tempted to have an affair uh, before I had broken up with my wife, but I didn't feel I could do that. Um, I had read a book. I don't know if you've seen this. This book is called sex over 50, which I was over 50, and it's written by a medical doctor. And he lays out uh, all the different things that couples of our age uh, struggle with. And he also laid out the possibility of what happens if you do cheat on your partner. And for some people, it, it can work, but it's always fraught with the danger of being found out and the devastation from that. And I just feel I couldn't, I felt I couldn't do that. But after I had physically separated from her, I didn't feel like I had any um thing holding me back except the fact that we were still legally married
1: right you yeah you were living in a different building and yeah. yeah you had moved out of the house
2: and and like you said you were you weren't divorced because you you literally didn't know how to make that happen
0: that's right
3: right
0: i didn't yeah um and so i so I met my partner and um uh, I actually, at that point, had a, a, quite a bit of low self-esteem on myself and didn't think anybody would want, want or have interest in me. But uh, I, in sharing my story of, of deconversion, I also shared, I'm a passionate person, so I was sharing with them all these new things I learned about human sexuality and how that even as we grow older, we should have a vibrant sex life. And um, she made the comment, well, she thinks that's over for her. And I said, well, it doesn't have to be and not knowing that this would spark an interest in her. And uh, several visits later, or maybe a month or so later, um, we were alone together in the house for some reason, and uh, she made the comment that, I'm glad you're here, you know, and kind of snuggled up to me. And I, I, I was amazed. I, I didn't realize that someone would take an interest in me. And, of course, we began communicating some more and talking, and uh, it ended up... Uh, uh, to uh, grow into a relationship. And so I was, at that point, I had read about, oh, yes, the, the book Sex and God also opened my mind up to uh, polyamory. Okay. Uh, and the, the whole world, I'd never known about that. I had, of course, known from the Old Testament times the polygyny that was in, in the Bible. Sure. Like right. Solomon, the wives. And, of course, while that seemed kind of fun to think about a male having lots of women available, it always didn't seem fair. Uh, to the women, uh, that they were, you know, in this bondage sort of thing. And of course, the New Testament fundamentalist Christians don't believe that that's for us today.
2: Real real but, quick, you, you cut out a, a second ago when you said, Was she with him at, at this time that she had sort of expressed her interest for you?
3: Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. And it was, I guess, so it was okay with him at this point, like how this.
0: Yeah, would... he was a real but he was the reason I almost think he took his communal living to almost uh accept that his partner could also have more than one more than one uh, partner or lover. Okay. okay. And so uh we actually at one point um had sort of a semi threesome together. Huh. And uh it, it was uh it was fun. It was actually the, the, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this and I'm sure your listeners will too, but it was the very first blow job I ever had. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I never had that experience before. And I, you know, I had read about it. I'd seen, you know, in my video series, but I never could get my, my chaste wife to consider something like that. That was too bizarre for her. Uh, <laughs> and so this was really a, a amazing experience. Uh, and of course I, I felt really connected and it was later that we, uh, we got, you know, more involved in, in, and, uh, got into full on, full on sex with each other. And, and it's kind of sad in a way. I, I was totally fine and good with the other guy, but, um, I guess, um, it was more on her part that she didn't, she, it wasn't really working out. I hadn't, I hadn't known behind the scenes that they weren't getting along the best. Okay. He had had his own sexual hangups, which sadly, I was stemming from some sexual abuse from his Hutterite colony that he grew up in as a boy. Oh,
3: okay. he,
0: had, he had been abused as a boy. And that and I tried to help him. Actually, I gave, I gave him some of the videos that I had. I had by that time a whole library. It's the Sinclair and Alexander Institute uh, series of all facets, you know, from sexual exercise to uh, what women want, what men want, and all sorts of wonderful videos. And I gave him a few, but he just... I mean, he was like fourteen, fifteen years older than I am, already in his upper sixties, and he just didn't have any interest in that, and returned them to me. And so she finally ended that relationship and more or less uh, moved in with me for for a time. And I did tell her that, of course, coming fresh out of a sort of like a divorce with my my ex, as I tend to call her, um, I, I I knew that I, I I couldn't I couldn't consider marriage. And in fact, to me, when I learned about polyamory, that, to me made a whole lot more sense and seemed to be more what I what who I was, and I began identifying as as polyamorous. Um, so that was a that was an interesting journey. I think she felt like maybe it was a phase I was going through, and that maybe I would simmer down because I learned that actually she was more tended to be a serial monogamist. This is your person. your
1: partner, yeah. My
0: partner, yes. Uh, she had had multiple partners through the years and had explored a few, um, crazy times, but never anything that she had one partner that was claimed to be polyamorous, but then he was, uh, bad at polyamory and a few times cheated on her without telling her. And that doesn't work very good. And she kind of got burnt from that. And so she was very, uh, concerned and sort of cagey about experimenting with that. So I wasn't sure what to do. I I thought for a while she was on board and sometimes it seemed like she was. But, um, and I even began to associate with a Facebook group here in Maine, Uh, that's a secret polyamory Facebook group here in Maine of different individuals that, really great, great bunch of people, but some of them are not out to their families. You know, they have to be careful for their business and and, uh, their careers. And we'd have get togethers and we'd go to some of those. And then they started a a poly camp in New Hampshire. And it's a wonderful place. We have lots of classes, uh, lots of activities.
1: I think someone Uh, reached out to us about, about that one time. So it sounded really cool.
0: Yes. And I've been there every year now, since we're in our fourth year, it's coming up again this September. And it's a great, it's a great time. Uh, And the, the couple that run it are good friends of mine. And, uh, last year, the year before, uh, the time before last year's, uh, camp, uh, we had evolved as a couple to where that we knew polyamory wasn't working so well for us, but we began exploring swinging. Uh, that was, that was more acceptable for my partner because it didn't entail uh, complicated relationship patterns and structures.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean,
0: I, I was ready for polyamory and I guess for myself, I would be more, um, uh, open-minded to even like a polycule. I, I tend to be a little bit more of the Hutterite-type viewpoint of communal things, and I and I, and I see the structure. Uh, I read the book um, Stranger in a Strange Land. Okay. And I really actually, I listened to it on Audible. It's a great Audible uh, listen if you ever want to listen to it. Um, and it really, I was really uh, 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 amazed by the story and really intrigued uh, and wished somehow that Something like that could work, but so far I've not been so, so lucky to find such a situation. But but being that polyamory really wasn't working for us as a couple, and we really did love each other, um, I was willing to consider swinging, and she was too. So that's where um, we got more on board. And jumping back to the polycamp that, that, that I've gone to, uh, she hasn't always gone, but um, she did one year. Last year they introduced a special session that introduced the merging of poly and swing because cool. they're, they're listeners to the swing set podcast and they, they were also beginning to evolve in their position of poly to realize that there's actually not that, that strict division line between the two that actually they, they do merge. Yeah. Yeah. And so they wanted to be more progressive in their viewpoints and they introduced this. And it's amazing the effect that it had. A lot of, a lot of people were open to it, but there were some that were not. So there can be, there can be some, there can be some real strong feelings
1: and yeah. In the-
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, at the, at the, uh, last camp I actually did, uh, at the end of the special, um, exercise introducing the mixed merging of Polly and Sween, i i met a woman and uh, she was there with her partner and uh uh they both had given each other the, the the clear go ahead to to um uh play with others if they found that opportunity and and she and i hooked up so uh, we had a, a good time but uh we didn't uh, we didn't have full sex and the next day um he had not found a uh, a partner to play with, and feeling a bit lonely, he made an amazing suggestion. He said, why don't we just have a threesome together? And uh, I said, well, I've never experienced that. I would have wished to. I've read a lot about it, but uh, hey, if you want to try it, let's do it. So I experienced my first threesome uh, there at that camp. Wow.
1: Yeah, so this was, this was after you had met your partner, and she just wasn't there, right?
0: wasn't there yeah Uh, of course I told her afterwards and it was a bit of a a struggle for her um I and uh we had to uh work through it um I I mean I wasn't trying to hide anything I just went back and told her real joyfully and uh sort of what had happened but uh she she had a bout of jealousy and it was it was kind of a kind of a kind of a difficult time for us uh but we've worked through it and she's been Going through counseling, and uh, she's actually listened to some of the uh, swing set podcast uh, uh, S episodes and some of yours as well.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, she surprised me this uh, last winter. Uh, we we like to do things fun things together. Um, we're pretty environmentally conscious, so we try to be careful what we do. I've I've consistently avoided traveling by airplane uh, anywhere. Uh, I haven't. I haven't flown for over 40 years, and that's sort of due to various reasons, one of which because joining the Mennonites and later the Amish, they're, they're sort of sketchy on flying in airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Amish don't do it at all. Some some groups don't do it at all. Some allow limited uh, flying if there's no other way to get there. But at that point, by, or by this point, I had become very concerned about the environment and the effects that flying has compared to other means of travel. Yeah, And uh, so... My partner was more interested. She would like like travel to Europe or, or Costa Rica, and I just said, "Fine, you go ahead, but I'm staying home." And uh, but this this Christmas, she she decided to uh, surprise me with a gift. If I was willing, she said, "If you're interested, if you're willing, I'd be willing to take us down to Cancun to the swing set takes desire. If you're willing to fly." <laughs> <laughs> It was one of those offers that I could hardly refuse. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to all the glorious uh, podcasts and all the, uh, of you know, their experiences that, you know, that they lay out and Prof and Ginger and Cooper and, and all those there, um, uh, laid out of all the wonderful times they had. And, and, and especially the way that they go about it, that it's not your traditional swinger, but more, more open-minded for, right. uh, for and by this time I was very open-minded and I, I couldn't even relate to swinger, traditional swinger settings where they only allow monogamous couples or and, and only women men, or not single men. That all just seemed so I don't know, so uh institutionalized and stayed. Uh and so when I when I learned of how they were going about it, I thought that was fascinating. And I, I talked about it to my partner uh more than once, but every time I kinda of ran against the wall because I didn't really want to fly. It was just sort of a dream that I had. And I wondered if maybe we could find something here in the States, which I still wish we could and maybe we can sometime. But, but uh chagrin uh, and and uh i I have mixed feelings, but I guess we're gonna go to Cancun this November.
1: <laughs> so so you, you you've
0: booked the trip, right? You've booked the trip, yeah. yeah. We're still working on our flights. Uh, I did try to find a way, to, as you know, uh, in our previous private conversations, of trying to get down there by um, by car because both of us have EVs, and my, and my partner has a Tesla. Uh-huh. And they're great for traveling. There's there's It's it's a great network. I encourage everybody, if I can put a little plug in for the environment. Uh, of course. Everybody should sell their EV and, and uh, sorry, sell their uh, ICE car, which means internal combustion engine. Uh-huh term we use. Um some people say fossil fuel cars, whatever you want to say. They're 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 polluting the very rare air we're breathing. If you're walking along the road bicycling, you know how that you have to put up with diesel cars and gas cars and trucks. And it's it's very bad. And many people, many people suffer and die every year in the cities, especially. Uh, and people they're now tying it to um Alzheimer's uh, early onset Alzheimer's uh, people are getting due to pollution, air pollution. And over in China, it's even worse than some of those developing countries. And so, and it's what's bringing on the precipitous um, disaster of climate change or climate crisis. So, I feel like now that we have valuable uh, or, or valid transportation like a Tesla or other EVs, although Tesla is head and shoulders above everybody else, they're like four years ahead of everyone, they've got a whole charging network all across the U.S., and most parts of Canada, and even in Europe, and Australia, they're starting. uh, China is getting more and more. In fact, they're building a big gigafactory in China where they're going to be producing Model 3s by the thousands starting toward the end of this year. And it's a whole sea change. And and they're just such wonderful vehicles to drive. Once you drive one, you'll never want to go back to an ICE car Mm -hmm. because you'll begin to realize how dirty. It's almost like... In back in the fifties, we never thought about people smoking and secondhand smoke. Right, we would ride in buses, and the smokers we put in the back of the bus. And now to think about having any smokers in the bus, period, is unthinkable. Right, yeah. And 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 once you have an ice uh, an EV, you realize you could park this thing in your living room if it would be possible, and it would never kill you. Right, right. right. But there's actually there's actually cases now, uh, uh, numbers of cases. It's not in the hundreds, but it's at least in the in the um, uh, at least twenty or thirty people have recently uh, over the past time, I don't know, several years have died of carbon monoxide poisoning from their cars. Usually, it's older people who have more of the newer cars with push button controls or remote starts, mm-hmm. and somehow the car gets started in their closed garage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Into their house, and they never wake up the next morning.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. So you'll never get that with an ice car. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, sorry, I'm getting confused. I never get that with an EV,
1: yeah.
0: electric vehicle. So, so you're exploring, so, hey,
1: yeah. So you're exploring yeah. options to drive to Cancun, but if
0: but it just doesn't. It looks too sketchy. We're both just a little at our age. We're a little too concerned about um, the safety of yeah. going through that long, big, long sea from down through southern Texas and all along the, the peninsula, sort of going up to or along the coast that looks like a sea, Mexico yeah. coast. Yeah. Yeah. And all the different, I think actually you could possibly do it. There's actually superchargers in Mexico enough. I, I mapped it with the app that I have, and we could do it. But it's just everything else involved that finally I decided, well, you know, I haven't flown for 40 years. Uh, Greta Thunberg perhaps can forgive me if I fly this one time. Right. Well, we,
2: we give you permission for what it's worth. <laughs> Yeah, I'm
1: super excited for you both. Yeah, I
2: think I will say, I think you've suffered enough. You 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 owe yourself this one. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, um, thank
3: you.
2: I I guess I would I will say that you know we we didn't focus a lot on your on the non monogamy part of your story, and I think I think that's that's more than okay because it, your story has been. It, obviously incredibly fascinating. we didn't hardly talk at all. we just we're, <laughs> we
3: like we're, we're sitting here just
2: listening so intently so i i think but no,
1: it's good that's the whole point yeah,
2: no that was and and so i I think what would be amazing is and we we met your partner briefly at the last uh patreon q and a that we did so I think it would be amazing if if after desire yes. and i i think I think everybody listening right now would would love to hear how first of all how that goes for you and and like just a little bit it doesn't have to be, you know, a 2-hour story but hear a little bit about the journey that you two are on together because you've you've obviously both found each other at a at like the perfect time in your lives and I think it would be fascinating to hear hear how that's going and and we Thank would you. love to hear that.
0: So, yes. I, I should add that um, we have tried to explore uh, some swinging opportunities here in our own state. And it's been rather difficult because we live in a rural area. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I've tried certain sites like SLS and Cassidy. Cassidy hasn't done much for me. And there is, there is a place down south of us here about an hour and a half that we've driven to. It's, it's actually a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nude sauna. Okay, uh, it was started back in the 1970s by some tree-hugging hippies, and it's, it's a great place. It's a wood-fired sauna. Um, they have a hot tub and a in a swim pool, and uh, then they have a unique feature of a of a playroom in the back. Huh. And but it's it's kind of kind of uh, kind of odd and different. Uh, I I uh, I I wasn't very comfortable with it, and I've had a few experiences there, but nothing that was really satisfactory. So we've been trying to find couples that maybe we could play with, uh, and it's been a, a long, long search. We there was one couple we thought might be okay, but then Annie wasn't connecting with the guy, and uh, it just wasn't going well. We knew I knew full well that taking one for the team is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so we kind of ended that short uh, beginning of a relationship, and but recently we've we've met a couple that seems to fit. Fit all, after a long search, we've this we found this couple that seems to fit us in in so many ways, and we haven't uh, actually um, gotten into playing together, but we have uh, gone to one of our favorite lakes and and gone skinny dipping together.
1: <laughs> cool, that's fun.
0: And uh, they're also new to swinging, so they're very cautious. And of course, we've had talks on STDs and. Uh, his wife is very very concerned about that but uh everything is clear and so it's slowly working the, the next step we want to take is perhaps um playing together in the same room but just just each each one with his own partner right his or her partner yeah and once we get more comfortable then uh then maybe things will progress from there mm-hmm. uh so it, it, we're, we're having a great time we're we it's not it's sort of a mixture of it's not polyamory, but it's 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 swinging where that you get to know the people real well and you become friends with them before you. It's not like going to a swing club and you just see somebody that you think's hot and you just go off into a room and start playing. This is more like building a relationship to a certain degree, and then and then uh, as almost like friends with benefits, I guess you would call it friends with benefits. In fact, they're coming up tomorrow to help me put away. Hey, wow! Oh, cool. Yeah. So we're not going to get into any, any, uh, any fun stuff, but, uh, uh, of course putting hay away is fun too, but it's a lot of hard work.
1: Yeah. Well, but you have, you're building that friendship.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's looking quite positive. Uh, I've done a little flirting with her and she with me and, uh, vice versa. And, uh, and we're all, we're all feeling good about it. Yeah. So in time, you know,
1: yeah, I think that's amazing. And I know it, this episode has been longer than some of our other ones, but I think that you have been so um, vulnerable and helpful, helpful in sharing <laughs> your story because the, you've shared, yeah, your story is incredible. And I had one quick follow-up question that I know people might be curious about in that um, yeah. have any of your children, like, are, do, have they still have a relationship with you?
0: Uh, To a limited degree, Uh, I I, using a religious term, uh, I would say that I I count my blessings as much as possible. Or as uh, Monty Python was saying his famous song, "Always looking on the bright side of life." uh, uh, They there there's some religious sects or cults that are even more severe than the Amish, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? pity those people because when they leave their group and become disfellowship, which is a term those people use, they won't even answer the phone. Like if you call your parents and your parents are still with the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and you've been ousted and they see that you're calling, they won't answer the phone. And it could be an emergency, but they won't answer the phone. If they see you in town, they're walking near the other side of the street. They're like, no, we talking. It's very, very sad, very, very, very harsh. Uh, with the Amish or the Mennonites, they still talk with me, um, but it's sort of, um, sort of guarded. And uh, some are more friendlier than others. There's some Amish people that will hardly wave at me when they go past in their horse's buggies because I live on a main stretch that allows them to have to travel. But others will be more friendly. And I I think of the little uh, quotation from uh, uh, Bertrand Russell in the early 1900s, who was a Uh, free-thinking philosopher of his time. And he said in a BBC interview once that cruel men believe in a cruel God, and they use that belief to justify their cruelty. Kindly men believe in a kindly God, and they would be kindly in any case. Mm -hmm. And as you think about that, the meaning of those words, it, it really hits home that a person that's kindly natured, even if they're in a strict religious sect like the Amish, They'll just find it in their in their hearts to still be friendly, at least to a uh, to a certain level. Right. And I have I have some good Amish neighbors that will still actually help me. Like I don't have a baler to bale my hay, so he'll come with his team of horses and pull this baler. It's got a motor on it to run the baler, in case anybody wonders how the balers run. <laughs> uh, and uh, he pulls it through. That's the that's the way they do it. And uh, he bails the bales for me. And I used to try to get other people that are non-Amish to help me. And I've been fairly successful but there's a few times when uh people that are not used to farming don't realize how urgent it is sometimes to get your hay in before it rains or it'll ruin the crop and sometimes i've had to go and and ask sort of beg for help and then uh, bless their hearts they'll just come right pitch right in uh, they'll drop whatever thing they're doing and them and their boys the men and the boys will come and help me put my hay in my barn right so so and for my family um I do go and visit them occasionally. Uh, they moved to Pennsylvania, so I don't see them much. I do have one daughter that's married to one of the Amish men here in the community, and they have three sons. So I see some of my grandchildren. Uh, I have 16 grandchildren and counting, I say. Wow. You know, when you have 10 children in, in the Mennonite circles, they don't believe. They don't have any uh, concept of overpopulation, and they don't believe in contraception. So it's very common to have 6, 8, 10, or 12, sometimes even 15 children.
1: Yeah.
0: The course of a marriage. Uh, So I could easily have 40, 50, or 60 grandchildren until I'm in my 80s.
1: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's just wild to think about.
0: (laughs) And I do go and visit my daughter sometimes. Uh, They usually let me uh, come in, and I stop and visit. We try to stay off the subject of religion. Uh, We try to just talk about farming or other things that are happening with the family. And once in a blue moon, they'll stop in and visit me. Mm -hmm. Which is really nice. I really appreciate that they do that much. And uh, my other family members, they have occasionally, but it's a long trip. I it's seven hundred miles. I do hope by this fall to take a trip. Uh, uh, Annie is going to be going on a on a bike tour called a women's bike tour down in Pittsburgh.
3: Mm-hmm. It
0: takes the um, uh, the the Great Grand uh, Gap Trailway. Uh, all the way down to the CNO Canal and then all the way to DC. It's about 300 miles. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah. It's a woman's tour, so I'm not going to be on it, but uh, we're going to drive the Tesla down and then she's going to let me have the Tesla and I'm going to go up to see my family in Western Pennsylvania.
2: Good. Very cool. Well, that's, I mean, that's encouraging that at least you have some contact with them. So that I think
0: that that's going to make people happy to hear, even. Yeah. Sometimes they'll send me birthday cards. I have one daughter that still remained in the Mennonite Church in Missouri. She was the oldest of the children and didn't didn't side with us during the difficulties there. And uh, she's visited me once in a while when she comes to visit her sister here. And uh, recently, for my birthday, she sent me a card and even had sewn me a shirt. Aww. Which I thought was a real, real uh, gift of love.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. She's thinking about you.
0: Yeah, of course, that's very common. They, they, you know, in in such setting, uh, all the all the clothes are usually uh, hand sewn. Right. And how their particular costume, the women have theirs, and uh, so sewing shirts, uh, she learned that from her mother, and she's she's excellent seamstress. And I, I really thanked her for that. I was I was really touched by that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think uh, the whole the whole story is amazing, and we appreciate you sharing all of it with us yeah and uh we're we're so happy you reached out and and I think we're we're happy to hear that you and your partner Annie are starting to explore things and it sounds like you know it's not going to be without its hiccups but you both are on on the same page and I think that's amazing
1: well it sounds like you're taking it step-by-step step too like you said you've had experience you you know they've experienced some jealousy you've um working through you know finding that swinging might be more better suited for you taking your time with a couple so you're you're taking the baby steps which is encouraging
0: yeah little by little uh sometimes i've been uh told that i have the patience of job and the other times i've been told that i'm very impatient <laughs> <laughs> I, I said that i hope i fall somewhere in between there <laughs> Yeah, well, we're... sometimes I do get impatient and, you know, especially when I was trying trying to locate I was sort of the the, the person of of the co- partnership or the couple that was doing the the surfing on the dating sites and uh just one dead end after the other. Uh so and I was getting pretty frustrated. I was you know ready to find someone, you know, let's get this on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh patience Uh, there's an old saying, let patience have its perfect work. I think that's actually a scripture that let patience have its perfect work that you may perfect in an entire wanting nothing. Uh, that may not if you you have to think about that before you understand it. But that's that's a quotation from from the New Testament, I think.
2: Well, I will I will say even in the best of circumstances, patience are required while surfing any of the dating sites for for people. In a swinging capacity. Well, so actually,
1: you, I think just dating any type d- of dating yeah. website at all. There's a lot of patience.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Needed. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, truly wish you both the best of luck, and we're so excited to hear how how desire goes.
1: Yeah, and, we can't wait, and we're so excited for you. And, and
2: uh, yeah, we 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 don't we want to hear the follow up on that. So, uh, hey. we look forward to it.
1: Yeah, glad to share. And thank yeah. you so much again for reaching out and um, yeah, and just sharing this incredible story. I know that a lot of people will find it fascinating and hopefully get a lot out of it
0: too yeah. so yeah, if it can be of any help to anybody else uh, that finds themselves in an unusual and difficult religious situation, and I'm grateful uh, I know mine is very unique, and I am curious if there's anybody out there that's in the swinging world that has had a similar coming out because there are some. Occasionally, not many, but there are some people that do come out of the Amish and Mennonites sure. and up. So I would be really fascinated. I don't know as yet anyone, but would be fascinated to know if there's anyone that has a similar
2: well, story. If if it wasn't already clear, uh, my guess is they will have already started writing their email to us at this point in your interview. But <laughs> if they if they haven't, we we highly encourage them to do so because we would we would also love to hear that and to find a way to connect, connect you, at least to commiserate.
1: Yeah. Well, and to talk and to have that support. Yeah. So, Yeah.
2: well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and thank, thank you again. And, uh, we will be in touch soon and
1: yeah, we're uh, excited to stay in touch. It just, yeah, I'm, I'm touched that you were just wanting to come on and share your story. So, um, I know it probably wasn't easy to relive all of that all the time and you know say, tell the whole story. So thank you again and we're excited for the update and we'll stay in touch.
2: Okay, great. All right. All right. Have a great evening, Kenneth. We'll talk to you soon.
1: And we're back just for a few minutes or less because we know this was a long one.
2: But if you're still here, what the hell? How- <laughs> Was that not incredible? Yeah. So this the, the thing that I told Emma and somebody I was talking to the other day about this was what what took Kenneth years and hours and miles of horse and buggy rides and phone calls Telephone and email calls. correspondence or not email mail yeah. correspondence <laughs> was like the equivalent of like fifteen minutes after school when I was fourteen on the internet and. <laughs> I know that makes me sound terrible. but, but
1: <laughs> you're, like, you're, I'm just, You also had the internet when you were 14. Not everyone did.
2: <laughs> I'm just blown away about how this all happened. So, I mean, seriously, thank you, Kenneth, f- for sharing everything. We appreciate it. And we're so excited to be able to share that story with people.
1: Yeah. No, thank you. And next week, we have another interview, of course. Um, this one is going to be with Mark and Eliza. And we're really excited to share it. They have a fun and unique story as well. And so, um, and yeah, I, I, I was going to say more, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to no, spoil it. No
2: spoilers. <laughs> but in the meantime, if you want to check out anything else that we have to offer, you know our website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And uh, we're we'll see you in a week.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.